button. There we go. All right. Um, before I start my sermon this morning, I was kind of looking for an opportunity to do this. Um, welcome, all of you faces to Pullman. People I don't know, I want to say a special welcome to you. I'm Pastor Jamie. Um, I am temporarily the senior pastor and worship. I'm not the temporary senior pastor. I am the temporary worship leader and longtime senior pastor. Um, and continue, we'll continue to do so, um, but we are praying and believing for another worship leader. So if you are among us and you're gifted in music of any kind, you play, all, you have, you're a drummer, you're a bass player, you're a lead guitar player, you're a, if you're a worship leader, <laughs> come and speak to me after service. We'd really love to get you connected and involved up here um, as we pray and believe for a full-time uh, worship and youth pastor that we're, we've made a transition this last year. And speaking of transitions, I needed to say this this morning. Um, so last week we introduced a new baby to our church, um, little Clara Lou Hopkins. Isn't that the cutest name like in history? I mean, Clara Lou, gee, mini Christmas. You can't help but be cute with a name like that. Um, Bridger and Rochelle, would you stand up? There we go. That's Bridger and Rochelle, and there's Clara Lou. Yes. So we're so excited to welcome the baby in, but at the same time, I need to make a sorrowful announcement that life has taken a left turn. Let's see. Yeah, no, a right turn. If you're facing north, it took a life turn, or left, right turn. It took a life turn? I don't know. I'm all mixed up. Bridger and Rochelle are moving back to Minnesota, and this is their last Sunday with us. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like, oh, I love those people. Goodbye. And that's basically the story of Pullman, right? <laughs> I love those people. Goodbye. And now you have a place to visit in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, not Michigan. So don't get confused and show up at the airport in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because they won't be there. Um, but they are moving back home to be near their family and start careers and such um, back there. So I want to say, Bridger and Rochelle, thank you. We love you. We have been so blessed to have you as part of our church the last couple of years, leading financial peace and helping with our children's ministry. And uh, Rochelle was moving into the children's ministry director this year, and now she's gone. And so we have another place to pray for. Um, you guys will be praying with me. So thank you, Bridger and Rochelle. And uh, if you got questions, talk to them and say that, give them love today as they go, okay? All right? Okay? Okay? Okay. So if you're, this is like one of your first Sundays with us, just know that this is kind of more dialogical, which means you can talk back to me a little bit and say yes and mm-hmm or laugh or hit your neighbor if you, they're falling asleep at any point. Um, it's kind of more of a conversation that we're going to have this morning. We've been in, we started last week a sermon, a sermon series on discernment, and we're going to continue that today. Um, I'm so, again, I'm really glad that you are all back with us, the students that were gone over the summer. I hope you had a chance to do some really fun things, things you loved doing. Um, and as I was thinking about that, I realized that there was something that I hate doing that I didn't do this summer. So that's like doing something you love, right? Not doing something you hate. You know what that thing is? Going to the mall food court. How many of you like mall food courts? I have to ask you, there, there's got to be some genetic problem going on there. There's something wrong. I mean, they, I absolutely hate mall food courts. I didn't used to mind them so much because I'd go and just have to decide for myself. But in the 20 or so years since I enjoyed doing that, I have now added four family members to my family and, so, and three food allergies. So we walk into a food court after, what, six hours of shopping at all these different stores where they're like, Literally, you know, your kids are picking things out and you go to the cash register and the lady looks at you and says, give me your money. And you just, you know, just shelling out money and you're there for hours and you're doing all this stuff and you're hungry. And then you go from hungry like, oh, we're going to go to one more store on the way to the food court, right? 
And so you go to that one more store and they give you, you give them their money. And by the time you get to the food court, you have what we like to call a hangry, right? Our family is good at hangry. We've got five people. All of us get a hangry. So by the time we get to the food court with its 57 different choices and our three different food allergies and with five people, we've got at least 13 opinions on what we should eat. The food court is the worst place in the world because you can't make a decision, right? You're like, should I eat the mushu pork? Should I have General Sow's chicken? No, wait, should I go over and get a burger or maybe a burrito? Or, you know, and then like you've got weird things like the jello bar or something. And you're like, well, I could get jello. And you just all these choices. And you get, you, I mean, how is anybody ever supposed to decide when they give you that many choices? How are you supposed to do it? I don't know. Thankfully, food court decisions don't have very cosmic implications, right? I mean, it's not like the end of the world if you choose the wrong thing. Although if you do eat too much of the General Sow's chicken at Panda Express, it will do weird things to your body in terms of shape and size, and your heart will start to talk to you, and it will pump slower, and it will scream at you and not be happy. So discernment is what we're talking about, is that ability to make decisions. And yeah, the food court seems like uh, a minor thing, but when I was thinking about the food court, I realized that there is this moment when you get into the food court with your hangry and with everybody's opinions that you get that decision paralysis. Have you ever had decision paralysis? I mean, it is like trying to choose between chocolate cake and cheesecake. You're like, how, how am I supposed to choose? You're choosing between two great options or two really bad options. And you just can't make a decision and you become paralyzed and you don't know what to do. And that is why we need to talk about discernment as a church. Because we get to places where there are options. We can go left, we can go right, we can do this thing or we can do that thing. We can be this person or that person. We can be what the Bible calls us to be or we can choose to reject it altogether. We have all of these choices and we have to figure out which way to go and to discern the right way for us. And so we are going to continue talking about discernment. And today we're going to talk about listening, because that is the, one of the biggest parts of discerning which way you should go in life, is to learn to listen. So let's take a look at Scripture together. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James is in the New Testament, toward the back. I had this marked. Where'd it go? James, John. Nope, First Peter. See, look at this. This is why you memorize the books of the Bible. There it is. James, 1 Peter, John. And we're going to look at James chapter 1. And I've got it open, but I actually put it right here in my notes so that I could read it to you as we go. It says this, James chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, give a woohoo when life gives you a moment of decision. When you've got to make a choice with what, which way to go, where your life should be, give a woohoo. Count it joy that you have a choice. Not just when you're facing persecution, guys. Because that's how we read this often, meet trials. Not just when we face people putting us down or bullying us, but when you face a decision, give a woo-hoo. Count it joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, that stick to itiveness. It's a dogged faithfulness in the Lord. Verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's basically a long obedience in one direction. And that, that direction produces the fruit of righteousness so that you come out lacking nothing. You're perfect in every way like Mary Poppins, right? Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. And that won't happen until we get before the Lord in heaven someday. 
But that's where we're headed, a long obedience that produces the fruit of righteousness so that we lack nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So if you come to the fork in the road and you don't know which way to go, ask God. He's got the directions. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, we can really easily misinterpret that to say that if we ever doubt God, we're going to be this wave-tossed person, like we're bobbing on the ocean and just, you know, throwing up over the edge and sick and lost, and it's just, we'd rather die. And that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, if you are a person and you ask God for wisdom, and God gives you wisdom, but then you doubt his direction. If you say, ah, I don't know if God's got my best interest at heart here. I don't know if he actually knows the way around this place. And then we start looking elsewhere for directions. Then we're going to become confused. And then we'll become tossed about and, and like lost in the ocean. It's going to feel like we're lost because we have rejected what God has said. We don't actually trust the one who's given directions. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in his all, all of his ways. His lack of trust in the direction giver causes him to be tossed about. So now we're going to jump down to verse 16. This is James, Jesus' brother, who's writing this. And in verses 8 through 16, he tells us this one big thing, and I'm going to say it to you instead of read it to you. And that's that God does not bring us to these moments of decision to find out whether or not you will make the right choice. Have you ever felt like that? Like, you've heard people say it. And, you know, I have a friend, uh, his name's Scott, and he works at the middle school. And we were at the middle school registering the other day, and he had this T-shirt on it. Had, it had the sissy Jesus, you know, sissy Jesus, girly Jesus on the front of the shirt. You guys with me? And it was on the front of it, and right at the bottom it said, he's, he's like doing this number, and he says, I did not say that. So this is one of these things that Jesus did not say. We've heard it said that God is testing me, that God has brought me to this moment to test me. And James says, that's not the truth. Life has brought you to a moment of decision, and God is there to guide you. He is there to lead you and point you down the right path. So here's how he sums it up in verse 16. He says this, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God has always, always, always wondered what was best for you. And always, always, always wanted what was best for humanity. And in this, he has never and will never, ever change. God is looking out for your best. Every perfect gift, every good gift, those are the things that are coming from God. Every gift that is, seems imperfect, every gift that seems destructive and painful, that doesn't seem like a gift at all, those things are not from God. And the good news is, is God will even take those and turn them into your good. That is the God that we follow. Verse 18, on his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God has chosen us himself and to draw us out. He's used his own strength and own power to save us, to rescue us, to pull us out and to bring us into a good path because that's what he longs for us, good things. And then he says that we're a kind of first fruit. You guys ever heard of a first fruit? First fruit. It's kind of a thing we don't even talk about in our society. Like, we don't talk about the first wheat. We talk about, we just talk about the harvest. In the Bible, they talk about the first fruit. And here's what the first fruit is. About three weeks ago, I went up into my garden to our blackberry patch. We have a blackberry patch growing up there. And there was these gigantic 
succulent, juicy, sticky, wonderful, full of seeds that get stuck in your teeth blackberries. And I picked probably 10 cups of them, this great big bowl of them. They were delicious. And I brought them into the house, and I set them onto the counter, and I said, oh, we could make something out of these. We could have, like, blackberry scones. We could have blackberry jam. We got And what happened was we just ate them because they were so delicious. You ever had that happen? You put it on the counter, it's gone. And it's like, that was the first fruits of our harvest. But the thing was, that wasn't all we got. It was the very first fruit because three or four days ago, I went back up to the garden, and guess what I got? about 10 or 15 cups more. And I brought them inside and then everybody ate them up. And then we had one of Amelia's friends over and then she ate like five cups of blackberries and then we sent her home. Good parenting, right? Have fun with that, you know? That's, that was the second fruit. And guess what? What's good, good to know is that I went up to the blackberry patch yesterday and Amelia and I were looking around and guess what she said? Dad, there's more to pick. The first fruits are the fruit that we pick first and put in a bowl and put on the counter. And the fruit that we pick first is not the prize of the harvest. The prize of the harvest is to come still. It's a promise that there's more where these came from. So these blackberries were this promise where, oh, this is delicious. This is wonderful. This is so good. And guess what? There's more. I'll have more in just a couple of weeks. And in just a couple of weeks after that, I'll get more and more. And God says that you are the first fruits of creation to experience his goodness. And as we walk around in life, we live as a first fruit to the world. They taste our lives. They see our lives. They see us following God's path and God's ways and how that works out in us and how it causes us to make good decisions, how it causes us to live well, to love well, and to have a happy and long life in the Lord. And they start to go, hey, there's something there that I want. There's a fruit there that I want, and it's a promise of a harvest for them. That's what a first fruit is. So, sorry, now back, I digress. Now back to James, verse 19. Know this, my brothers, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I don't know about you, but I just read that, and I thought, shoot. Let every person be quick to hear. I am really slow to hear sometimes. You ever had the cotton ball effect in your ears when you're talking to somebody, and they're like, they're talking, and sometimes it just, for some crazy reason, it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? Wah, 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 wah. And you're not listening. And that's me sometimes. I am slow to listen to somebody. I have to hear it over and over again. And then it says, be slow to, or I'm sorry, am I blowing that? Am I saying it back? Quick to hear, be slow to speak. So instead of, instead of hearing, I'm just, I'm a preacher. This is what I do for a living. I talk. I talk all the time, and I have this tendency I have found. If I go out with coffee with somebody, I just start talking. They're like, so how's your life? Oh, I'm all great. And then I'm telling them about my lawn, and I'm telling them about my blackberries, just like on Sunday mornings, and then like psychological problems, and I'm just talking, and they sit there, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, I didn't even listen to them. You ever had that happen to you? I didn't even listen. You walked away, and I, like, I'll come home, and Heidi's like, so how was your coffee with so-and-so? It was great. She goes, did you ask him about the baby? what baby? You know? Did you ask them about their new house? What new house? Did you ask them about the new job, how it's been going? Ah, I completely forgot about that. You ask them about how their heart is since the divorce. Like, geez, I didn't even, oh, you know, and that's like, it can get worse. How many want to go to coffee with me now? Yes. Yeah, Derek's like, I'll come listen to you. So that's, that's the lesson today, everybody. You need to learn to listen to me. No. Um, 
So we got to be quick to hear and slow to speak and then slow to anger because often we're pretty quick to get angry, right? For anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, the anger that we produce when we're trying to discern life, that frustration that comes, isn't producing tasty blackberries. It isn't producing the first fruits of what God has called for us to do. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all, and love when they put words like this into the Bible, filthiness and rampant wickedness. How many of you have some filthiness and rampant wickedness that you want to bring forward today? We'll just have this altar call. The Bible is not nice sometimes. But I needed to hear it. Bring forth all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That is the word that God has spoken to you in the past. That is the word of the Lord that's written for us here that we receive with meekness and submit ourselves to. We allow it to guide and direct our lives. And not only is it just an implanted word, it's a word that is able to save your souls. It's powerful. It's powerful. It doesn't just direct us to good things. It saves us. Amen? That is one of the greatest words of all, the word that can save our souls. Father, I just pray that this morning your word would be implanted into our hearts. As we listen to you, as we open our ears to hear your voice, that you would plant a seed in our harvest, or plant a seed in our heart that would produce a harvest of right things, of good things, of holy things, and that those things would be a first fruit in our life, that we wouldn't just see this one thing, but we would see it as a promise of more to come. In Jesus' name we ask this, in your name, amen. So as we said last week about this series on discernment, that life is a series of choices, and that really discernment is the process that Christians use to determine the right direction at the fork in the road. You know, we use that picture of from the Muppets of the Kermit and and Fozzie the bear driving down the road, and there's a giant fork in the road. I think we have a picture. There's the actual picture of the fork in the road. It's the proverbial fork in the road, the place of decision. We don't know which way to go. And as I was reading this text, I realized that forks in the road, the reason that we should give a woo-hoo, that we should be thankful, is because God is at the fork in the road. You're not alone. It's the good news is that God doesn't leave us alone but that he is there at the fork in the road. And that's why James commands us to be quick to listen. When you come to the fork in the road, open your ears so that you can hear God speaking to you because God is standing there telling you which way leads to life and which way leads to pain. Isn't that good news? I mean, seriously, if you've ever wondered which way I should go, God was in that moment. God was right there with you. Another way of saying it is if you want to find God, if you're like, oh, I just don't even know where God is or how to find God or how to hear God, think about every decision you have to make and lay those out on the table before you because those are the places that God is speaking. Those are the places that God is directing. He is there at the fork in the road. While we were on sabbatical as a family over the summer, we had the opportunity to take a hopefully not once-in-a-lifetime trip to Mexico. And we were staying in this city called Merida, and it's the colonial capital of Mexico. It's a beautiful city built in the 1500s. It's amazing. But we decided we wanted to get out of the city because it's like in the middle of the peninsula, and it turned to like 98, 99 degrees and 90% humidity. Like even the Mexican nationals were like just melting outside. It was 
horribly hot, and we're like, we got to get someplace to cool down. So we go to these places in Mexico called cenotes. And cenote means sinkhole in Spanish, which sounds really exciting, right? We went to the sinkhole today. It's much cooler. Everything is cooler in Spanish. Have you ever noticed that? Everything is cooler in Spanish, right, Luis? Luis is a native Spanish speaker. Everything is cooler in Spanish. So we say cenotes, and we're going to go to these cenotes. We found them online, and we put the directions into Siri, and we started Siri going, and we get in our car, our white little, what was it, Volkswagen Jetta, which is completely conspicuous when you get out of the city. And we're driving in our white Jetta down the road an hour and a half out of the city. So we go through the cities or the suburbs, the city, the suburbs, and then we kind of go through these rural farm villages, and Ceres leads us off of this road down this, like, it's like you could not pass another car coming and going. It's a bumpy road, and then all of a sudden we're in this tiny little village, and then Ceres says, I'm sorry, I can't tell you which way to go anymore. So like, did you love that? She's like, gives you directions, and then says, oh, I actually don't know where we're at anymore. And we're like, oh, man, what are we going to do? We're like, middle of nowhere. And so we go to the map which is, that's old school technology. They actually used to print maps. Did you guys know that, 20-somethings? 20, 20 they used to print, and there was you could follow them and get places. It was amazing. So we dug around, we found a map, and we're starting to look and see how we're going to get to these cenotes. And suddenly there comes a knock at our window in the car. Now, if you're in Mexico, and you're way off the beaten path, and you're in a little teeny tiny village in the middle of nowhere, and somebody knocks on your window, a whole roll of thoughts go through your head all at one time. Is this person trying to rob me? Is this person trying to kidnap us? Is this person trying to sell us sketchy food? You know, you're, you're like, think through all these things, and you kind of quickly look, and you see, and you make a determination. Within five seconds, you can decide something about people, right? You know that? In five seconds, you can decide if this person is safe or not safe. And you look at them, and I looked, and I said, Oh, I think this person's safe because he is driving a homemade tuk-tuk. You guys know what a tuk-tuk is? So they're usually like a motorcycle with a thing on the back. But in Mexico, they make them homemade and go the other way around and put two seats out in the front of a motorcycle, and you ride on it, and it looked like that. That's my kids, and I think that's Heidi. It's Heidi and uh, Isaac and Amelia riding on the back of this tuk-tuk thing. So he comes and knocks on the window. I roll down the window, and then in rapid Spanish and in broken English with a really raggedy piece of paper, he begins to tell us, like, the cenotes, cenotes, and you could go there, and it's this much, and we kind of work out our communication, and he te this tells us that he knows how much, how far, and where to go, and he will lead us there for a small price. And and it wasn't, I mean, I, I'm serious. So, you know, you think that's a joke, a small price, and it actually wasn't that expensive. You know, so um, we we had to decide. Now, do I trust this person who is knocking on my window? in the middle of this village, in the middle of nowhere, to take me even further out of, the, out of the way to some sinkholes in the ground to go swimming. We decided yes. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't you follow somebody like that? Yeah. And he took us to some of the most amazing... It was like Amelia's favorite part of the trip. I think there's a picture of one of the Sayanotes. This is an underground cavern one, so you can see. It's like it goes down forever where I'm swimming, and you can rope swing and jump and dive. It's not a great picture, but it's awesome. It's so much fun. We had the best time of our lives because we trusted this guy to tell us where to go. We trusted him to not just lead us, but to drive us to get there. And I thought about this, and isn't that really the crux of discernment? Isn't that really it? Many of us hear the voice of God speaking to us when we come to these places of decision. We come to these forks in the road, and he's He's standing there, and he's talking to us, and we're unsure whether to trust him or not. And that's when James says we become tossed about, right? Like, oh, I don't know. The path that you're talking about over here, God, that sounds boring. 
I don't, I want to have fun. I'm in my 20s. I want to go this way. But God's going, that way's going to lead to some pain. This way leads to life. This way leads to joy. I don't know if I want to go that way, God. That one actually looks painful. He's like, there's going to be pain on this road, but that pain is going to bring life and, and a presence in you that you'll never expect to experience. It's going to bring a joy that you wouldn't know otherwise. And, and we're like, I, I don't know. And we sit there and we doubt God's goodness and his sense of direction. In the book of Revelation, there's this image of Jesus. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I can just imagine Jesus standing at the car of your life as you are at this fork in the road and he's knocking on your window and you turn and look and you have to make this decision, do I trust this person or do I not? Am I going to follow him where he leads me? Am I going to get into his car or stay in my own? Because we could have just driven off into oblivion and we might have found a say in those days and we might have also found, you know, a drug ranch and we might not have come home. We don't know. And Jesus is standing at the doors of our lives in the same way, offering us this, would you follow me? Do you want my directions? Do you want to come with me? And it's at this moment that we have to remember that the author of the book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father of lights, that God is trustworthy to take us down the path that is best for us that God is trustworthy to lead us where we need to go in life whenever we come to the fork in the road, if we will listen. If we will listen. But the trouble is, at the fork in the road, it's often not just God there. Have you ever noticed that? It's not often not just God at the fork in the road. There is somebody else speaking. Now, when we were at the fork in the road, there was one guy, and they had this thing worked out. Nobody else would come knocking on our windows. I can only imagine the chaos that would have ensued if 18 other guys on tuk-tuks had come knocking on our doors. But I think that that paralysis we feel when we come to decisions is just like that's what would have happened. We come to this fork in the road, and there's not just the voice of God speaking to us saying, this is the way you should go, walk in it. There is 15 other voices out there speaking into our ears. Have you ever experienced that? You not just have all your options before you, but you have voices that speak. And maybe, you know, if, if you actually actually hear verbal voices, maybe we need to talk. But um, it's like just impressions and feelings that come upon you, and you've got to make a decision. For the last year or so, I've kind of had a hard time with, like, actual hearing. It might be 20 years of music, you know, being in bands. I started in a punk rock band and then worship bands over and over again. And then I did like five years of tree work. So I've probably lost some part of my hearing. But what happens is I'll be in the kitchen and I'll be doing the dishes and the water's running. You know, that sound of the water running. And then the pots are kind of rattling about. And then you've got your, your, you've got your six-year-old and she's sitting on the counter singing. And then you've got your 11-year-old who's in the living room and he's singing and then you've got your 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 15 and a half year old sitting there trying to talk to you and then your wife comes in and says something how many things do you think i heard in that moment i heard the water running <laughs> it's weird like more than one thing happens i can only hear one sound i can and then and then like, all of a sudden you start hearing this dad 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 what you know <laughs> you come out of the reverie and my dad has the same problem. He got hearing aids, but the doctor that gave him hearing aids said it probably wouldn't solve his problem. And so he said something about selective hearing. I don't know. Um, discernment is about hearing, but it's about hearing the right voice when you come to that place of decision. 
It's about being able to pick out of all the noise, out of all the sounds, out of all the cacophony of life, of the speed of life, the demands of life, the, the relationships in life, and to listen to in the midst of all of that noise, which is beautiful and wonderful and so good to have in our lives, but to be able to hear the still small voice that speaks to us. James says, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, which kind of leads me to believe that there is a deceiver standing there trying to deceive you, trying to get you to go the opposite direction, speaking into your ear like, don't go that way. That way's got snakes and spiders and nothing good is down that way. And you're like, oh man, snakes and spiders. I'm not running there. Like Heidi ran in Mexico down a road, and when the, the next day we saw this giant snake go across it, and she's like, maybe I shouldn't have gone down that path. I don't know. And that's, you know, he's like, you don't want to go that way. There's all these noises, and there's this voice, a voice of anxiety that says, oh, you better hurry up and make a decision. You're running out of life. You're getting old. I'm like 22. I, I, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm 32. I'm getting old. I'm running out of life. I better make a decision. I better go away this way or that way. And we would just hurry, hurry, hurry. Then you have this voice of pride that comes up inside of you that says, oh, you don't need help from anybody making this decision. You've got this. You can just do it on your own. Show them how strong you are and make your own decision. Just listen to your feelings. Do what feels right. And then there's that voice of, that kind of becomes anger eventually. It starts as frustration, like confusion and then frustration. And I, I don't know which way to go. And then you get anger. And in the end, you just make a rash decision and you go one way or the other. And you haven't listened to anything but all of these voices. And that's why James says, be slow to anger. Be patient in your moment of decision. He's not just talking about when you get cut off by a car in front of you. He's talking about when you have to make a decision, when you have to listen to the voice of the Lord, and you're trying to discern God's voice from all others. Be slow to anger, because anger isn't going to help you in the process. So you have to quiet the voices. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then you have to learn to listen to the one voice at the fork in the road, the one voice that matters most, the one voice that will lead to life, the one voice that will take you down the path that God has chosen and set apart from you before time began. How do we hear God's voice from all the others? How do we determine it? We have to listen well. And listening is not something done quickly. We want to listen and, and get the directions just quickly, but we have to understand. We want, and it's not a natural process for us. We're not born with the capability of listening. I used all the babies in our church as an example last week, but not a single one of our babies really listens to mommy. You know, just like, I'm hungry. That's all they know. I'm just trying to communicate, and if I have to communicate it loudly, I'll communicate it to you. But I'm communi I'm hungry, and mommy has to listen to give the baby something. And she's like, Oh, hush, baby. The, 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 you know, have you ever tried reasoning with a baby? Have you ever tried reasoning with a dog? I mean, any of these things. None of them listen. They can't. They just they, they only know what they want, and they can't communicate to you what they need they, or what they want. They just, I said that all wrong. Anyway, you get the point. Babies aren't naturally born with the capacity to listen. They hear your voice, and they're soothed by it, but they don't know what you're saying. And we do the same thing. We just come with our needs our desires and we scream and we get it out and we say this is what i need this is what i need this is which way do i go but we don't stop and listen because we're not born with that capacity we have to develop it we have to grow in it and thankfully we serve a god who listens and who listens deeply if you read the stories of jesus when he meets people he is always listening he sits at the woman with the woman at the well and he listens to her 
he, he stands with the woman caught in adultery and he listens to her and he listens to the men throwing the rocks, ready to throw rocks at her. And he is able to speak to that moment because he has listened well and understands the situation. And better than that, not only does God listen well, he is not a silent God. He is willing to speak to us and to share with us the way in which we should go. There's a book I want to recommend to you um, as we kind of finish this out. I want to give you a couple of quick things, ways that we can learn to listen and to slow down our lives. Um, but there's a book called The Listening Life, <laughs> and I highly recommend it, just like the lady on top of it did. Um, <laughs> who is that? Uh, Susan Cain. Recommend, highly recommended it. I highly recommend it, too. Um, it is a brilliant book. Highly, highly recommend. Read this book. It, it's, it's shaping and changing how I live and think, and I'm going back to it now to relearn how to listen. I keep, Heidi's like, you need to reread that book. I'm like, you're right, I do. <laughs> so check that book out. But here's some things that, from James that we can take. First thing to do to, to listen well is that we need to slow down. The speedometer of our lives seems to start out at fast and end in a blur. And we want to keep our lives kind of moving at that same pace as everybody else at top speed and then maybe lean out the window and shout, you know, try to listen to God over the sound of the scream of the wind as he's like, go left at the fork. And you're like, yeah, left. And you know, and you want life to work that way, but it doesn't. You got to stop. You got to stop at the forks and the roads long enough to hear his voice. Because if you live that way, you're going to miss the directions of God. And everybody who's in the car with you is going to get a little green in the back seat and just kind of want to get out right? Nobody wants to live in a, in a world where you're just stuck in the back seat of a life that's just going at a blur. God's ways for us, he's intended from, from the very beginning that we have a rhythm of rest and quiet and a rhythm of work and play and that they come and they go and that we take a day off a week just to, to enjoy him and to enjoy our families. And it's in this place that we hear him speak. It's called the Sabbath rest. That's how listening works as we slow things down long enough and then we listen hard and seek not just to be heard but to hear Heidi and I do premarital counseling and it's one of the things we teach it's called active listening right how many of you heard have been taught active listening how many of you practice active listening it's really funny is that two-thirds of the people said they've been taught it but only three or four raised their hand saying they use it Highly recommend this. So let's go over it again. What is active listening? It's where the speaker speaks and the listener listens. And at the end of the first person speaking, the listener says back to them what they heard. What I heard you saying was that I need to read the listening life again. And the speaker says, yes, that is exactly what I said to you. And then great, now we both know that we have been heard, that that person's been heard. Practice this in your life, but practice it with God. Take the time to sit and listen and say, God, this is what I heard you say. This is, you said, go left. Should I go left? Are you really saying I should go left? God's going to be like, yeah, that's what I said, go left. That's called confirmation. You're gonna, we're going to talk about that next week. But take the time to actively listen to others and to listen to God. So many of us struggle with our discernment because we can't hear God's voice because we're moving too fast to take the time to hear him, and then we're too busy talking to listen. We don't even have time for silence or for solitude because we've got our schedules packed with classes and play times and trips to this place and to that place. Or we just fill our lives so full that we can't take time to listen. And you know what? We've each been given 
exactly 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and we need to have seven to ten hours worth of sleep. All of us do that. Whether you believe it or not, your biological clock will tell you it does eventually. It'll take it off the end of your life somewhere. You need that kind of time. And then out of that, you have to take time to stop and develop a relationship with God to listen. Psalm 37, 7 says this. David says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Take time to be still and listen. So you slow down, and then you have to quiet the voices. Boy, it'd be nice to be able to quiet the voices. Quieting voices take time. David said again, I meditate on your word day and night. I've read that, and I think, how? Don't you hear the voices telling you that you should be doing this thing or that thing or the other thing, the voice of the shoulds? We've all got the shoulds, right? You're sitting down and you're reading your Bible, and it's like, you shouldn't be reading your Bible. You've got a paper to get done. You shouldn't be praying. You've got, you've got work to do. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be making dinner and getting it on the table. You shouldn't be doing that. Your house is a mess. You shouldn't be... T- and these voices of the shoulds come in and speak. And the voice of anxiety comes in. He's right. I should be doing something else. And that's not getting done. Coming back from sabbatical, Heidi and I feel like we've kind of received some new vision for things that to do with this church, to minister together to the culture around us, to, to minister to you, to minister to missionaries. And I was like, I was all fired up my first week back at work. I really was. I was like, I can't wait to get to these things and to start working on this thing and this thing and this thing. And you're like, what are those things? I don't care about the rest of the sermon. I only want to hear about what you got there. And I'm like, I'm going to save that for later. You'll have to wait. But I'm like, got these things. I really want to do them. I'm really excited. And guess what? In comes the things that I have to do that haven't been done in weeks and months since we were gone. The anxiety of the church, of this person leaving, of that person being gone, of all of the, the planning and the operations and all of these things, all of these other voices that come nagging in that say, you can't do the thing that you felt you were called to do when you got back. You have to do these things. And quieting those voices has been some of the hardest work I have done as a pastor ever. And if you got a no from me in the last week or that's going to have to wait, that was me quieting the voices. Because I feel that God is calling us to focus patiently on these things that he's calling us toward and to quiet those voices. How do you quiet those voices? Let me give you a tip. Sit down with a piece of paper. You think about what your decision is, what you need to do, which way you want to go, and you write out all the things that you're hearing in that moment. Write out the shoulds. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be doing this. I should be. Write them down. And then circle it and say, should, right over the top of it because you're shooting all over yourself, okay? <laughs> That's one. You just, you just silence that voice, though. You said, those are the shoulds. This is not God's voice. Then you write down the things you're anxious about. What are you anxious about? Start writing down the things that, the voice of anxiety, and write anxiety right on top of that, and say, that's anxiety. I'm to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanksgiving in my heart, offer my petitions and prayers before the Lord, Right? Start naming these things and writing them down, and you will quiet the voices until you hear one voice, and that's the voice of the Lord. Thirdly, and finally, implant the Word of God. James ends his, his text, his little tirade here, with these words, Receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your soul. Scripturally speaking, there are a number of things that come under this title, the Word of God. Jesus was the Word of God made flesh. Look at the life of Jesus. You see what God is saying. The word of God is also 
the Bible, the written historical collection of God's history with mankind, the teachings of Jesus, the Word made flesh, His story, His life. So as you read this story, it becomes implanted in you like a seed. And then there's the Word of God that comes to us just spontaneously as we're sitting there. I I even heard stories of of teenagers at the camps this summer as they gathered together to pray for one another that one of them is like, "Ah, I think God is doing this. And then later another one comes in and said, this is what happened. And you're like, whoa, two and two. God said this and this. And it was a moment. It It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't Jesus in that moment saying it. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to kids saying, this is what I'm doing. We have all of these words of God and they're implanted in us. And we have to start listening to the prompting of the Spirit in us. Becoming sensitive to that takes practice. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about that. Becoming sensitive to the Spirit, discerning when the Spirit is speaking to us. But the simplest meaning of the Word of God is the written Word. We hear it at church. We listen to it as an audio file on our phones. We read it uh, in paper or on on this thing if Candy Crush doesn't get in the way. And you, you hear it and you hide it in your heart, as David said, so that you don't sin against God which is to say you don't break the rules of God's yard. You live in the right way, that your life doesn't cause pain and harm to other people. You're able to live well, to love well, to love others well, to love yourself well, and to love the Lord well, and to discern the roadblocks that are coming ahead as you study his word. 1 Timothy 1.5 says that the aim of our charge, the calling that we have as pastors and leaders, is that love is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If you've ever wondered what maturity looks like for a Christian, it's this. It's not speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is great, but that is not the sign of maturity. It's not being able to pray really good at a potluck. It's, yeah, you, you've experienced this, right? You're like, would you pray at a potluck? Oh, shoot, I don't even know what to say, and everyone's going to know I'm not a mature Christian. That's not what maturity is. You could have the most stumbling of sentences ever and pray to God, and it's not immaturity necessarily. Maturity is this, the aim of our charge. My goal in pastoring you is that you would love well and that that love would issue from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. When God's word is implanted in you, it is growing you toward love that issues from a pure heart with a good conscience and sincere faith. When you come to a fork in the road and you have this word implanted in you, you can say, this way leads this way, this way leads this way. Which way leads to a pure heart? Which way leads to a good conscience? Which way leads to sincere faith? Which way is going to help me love other people well? Which way is going to love my family best? The implanted word of God will guide you in that moment. So here's those four practical things you can do. You can slow down. You can prioritize your time with God. You can practice active listening with God. You can write down and quiet the voices. And you can take God's word and get it in your belly. Read it. Listen to it. Over and over again. Don't skip out on this if you want to discern. But this morning I want to give one last thing. And we're going to do this for two minutes because that's what we have left. Perfectly two minutes. I was telling folks this morning that my altar call this morning is the worst possible altar call ever, okay? Because altar calls are all about the energy and about the life you get, and it's about that kind of emotional moment that you experience with the Lord. There's 
there's good things that happen there. They're not bad at all. But when people plan services, they often think, how can we move people to decision? How can we move people to this place? And instead of moving you anywhere, I want you to sit down and close your mouth and your eyes and to just listen and to take two minutes of silence and solitude before we go home, before we go back to the lawn mowing and our babies and all the things we have to do. Take just two minutes and to say to God, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Speak to me in this moment. So I'm going to give us two minutes just to be quiet. I'm going to stop talking so you can listen to God. And then I'll pray for us and send us out. So let's all close our, our eyes and our open our ears, and ears of our hearts. And Jesus, right now, we just want to center our thoughts on you. We want to think about what you're saying to us. I pray that the voices that are speaking now would be quiet and silent in our ears. We're open to what you have to say, Lord. Speak to us. confess the anxiety my own soul felt just standing here for two minutes. Lord, I pray that we would become a people who are not anxious in silence, but who are eager for it. We're eager to listen. We're quick to listen and slow to speak. And that we'd become slow to anger because we are listening to your voice. And that our life would be filled with the first fruits of your kingdom flowing out of us to the world. We would love others well. We would love you well. God, as we go from this place to enter our busy weeks where school is starting and 
we're facing various deadlines and um, work that it's, that's coming at us, God. We, I pray that we would take control of our lives in that moment and not let the anxiety of the world drive us, but that we would slow ourselves down and be faithful to listen to you and the implanted word of God that is in us. And as we do this, others would want to know what it is that we got going on in our lives that make us so peaceful in the midst of the chaos, so sure in the midst of indecision, so faithful when everything seems to be falling apart. Thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us. And I pray that the things that we heard this morning, you would continue to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in the grace of our Lord in that peace that you just experienced to walk through the rest of your day and the rest of this week. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys.